And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we don't hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of the heart. Amen. On the way into worship this morning, somebody said to me, can we just keep singing Christmas music until April, which is basically when Easter arrives? And I said, absolutely, we, we should. And I don't, the thing, the thing about Christmas is it's so easy for us to, um, to stop on December 25th and say, okay, we've had our Christmas, we've had our celebration, let's get ready and move on to the new year. But here in the church, we need to remember we are on a different time zone. We're on a different calendar from our January to December calendar. We're still in the Christmas season. We're still supposed to be celebrating and be in that place of comfort and joy and awe and wonder. And, and one of the reasons that we need to linger there is that so we can indeed carry it throughout the year. And today we actually have a great opportunity and a great vessel through which to do that because of the gospel lesson that we heard. Now, all, we have four gospel writers, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, last two Sundays, we've been spending time with Matthew's account of Jesus's birth. And we heard about, we talked about Joseph and the flight into Egypt after the visit from the wise men. And then you've got Luke's story, Luke's account, which we heard on Christmas Eve, where there are shepherds and there are angels and Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. And, and those are the two stories that we tend to cling to. Those are the two stories of Jesus's birth that most of us are familiar with, but we need to remember that Mark and John also tell the story of Jesus's birth, but they're very different from Matthew's and Luke's. And today we get to see a little bit of what John's birth narrative for Jesus looks like. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind with John. He was one of Jesus's disciples who went through a lot of persecution, a lot of hardship, and many years later, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, he is actually writing his account of uh, his account of Jesus. And he had, and by the time he was probably writing that, it was close to the same time that he was sent as a prisoner to the Isle of Patmos, where he received a vision. And in that vision, we got what is now our last book of the New Testament, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And everything about John's writing is about revealing Jesus. Have you ever noticed that we often tend, that we often call that last book of the Bible just Revelation, or we make the mistake of adding an S to the end of it and saying Revelations? Please don't do that anymore. It's one Revelation. And if you look in your Bible, in most Bibles, you'll see on that title page of the last book of the Bible that there's something we often leave out of that title. It's not just the revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything John writes is about revealing Jesus Christ. And he is looking back, thinking about the birth of Jesus here in chapter 1. And, and remember, John is a poet. He's a philosopher. He's a theologian. He's had a lot of time to process and think about what he's experienced with Jesus while Jesus was on earth and after he ascended into heaven. And what we have is one of the most beautiful hymns, one of the most beautiful poems that, that is still with us in Scripture. And what John is doing here is inviting us to reflect 
on who Jesus is in our lives. What he, what he puts together here, and I encourage you to read the first nine verses of this chapter as well. When you go home, it'll be very familiar to you. But what we see happening here, John is writing out of a place of deep reflection. And he's inviting us to do the same. Many of us have made our New Year's resolutions or intentions. We've decided the habits we're going to take up and the habits we're going to get rid of. And I encourage you to add to that list or maybe just do away with the list that you already have and go back and start with being more reflective this year. And more, and more specifically, being reflective of how we have seen Jesus revealed in the world around us and in our lives. In verse 15, we see John actually looking back to John the Baptist and think and reflecting on how John saw Jesus. And we can do the same thing. How do we see Jesus in what revealed in each other's lives? The other thing for us to keep in mind as we, re, as we hear John's story of Jesus' birth this morning is the fact that this is a hymn. This is a poem. This was likely something that was sung in the early church. And so much of what we believe Believe, friends, is determined by what we sing. It's determined by the things that we know from memory that get ingrained in our memory. A few weeks ago, a young lady here in church, we had just sung Hark the Herald Angels Sing as one of our hymns, and she came up to me afterwards and said, You know what? I know every verse to that hymn, and I didn't even have to look in my book. I had every verse memorized. I knew every one. And I thought, you know, if there is one hymn this time of year that we should all memorize, and we should follow this young lady's example and memorize Hark the Herald Angels Sing, because it is one of the most succinct and best summaries of the incarnation, what it means for the word to be made flesh. So I encourage you, if you're looking for something different to do in your quiet time, your meditation time this year, begin by memorizing a hymn. Begin by reading the hymns closely, and you'll begin to see how these songs form what we believe. And that's what John was intending. He wanted for this poem, for this hymn, for this song to form in the early church how they saw Jesus, how Jesus was revealed to them through what he wrote. And one of the things we discover as we reflect, as we memorize, as we sing these songs together is that God is desiring to give to us grace upon grace. Look again in today's reading where we hear exactly that, where we hear exactly those words that grace upon grace has been given to us. But let's begin here. In verse 14, and the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and of truth. This verse here is one that many of us probably are familiar with, and the word that is used there, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us or living among us. Eugene Peterson translates that in the message, modern translation of scripture, as the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's John's birth narrative of Jesus. Jesus was born in our neighborhood. He chose to come and live and be a part of where each and every one of us is. Not just our individual neighborhoods, but every neighborhood that is willing to receive him. More specifically, the Greek word used there for dwelling or living literally means to pitch one's tent in. Now, I know some of you like to pitch tents 
and go camping and be out in the great unknown. And one thing we know about, about pitching a tent is that it's really pretty much a temporary home. It's a portable home. It's something that you can move from place to place. And so is the presence of God in Jesus Christ. He moves with us. He travels with us. He goes with us. That is the word becoming flesh. God coming near to us. God traveling with us. God always being with us to give us what we need. Grace upon grace upon grace. And Jesus brings to us a word of grace that fills us full of that life. If you look back on today's passage, you'll see in various places the word fullness used a lot. And especially in the verses leading up to this, that Jesus came among his own. He was born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And we see here in verse 16, from his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. Before the early service this morning, so you see, guys, if you talk to me before church, you're going to be mentioned in a sermon probably. Um, but you notice I haven't called any names. But before the early service this morning, somebody made the comment to me about still feeling full from all of the good food that was eaten over the holidays. And indeed, many of us are feeling that way. We're still full from not just the good food that we ate, but the company that we kept with the people that we were around, with the joy and the love that surrounded us. And we feel so, we were so filled up with that. But friends, in order to be full of something, at one time, we were empty. We needed to be filled with those things. And what we see happening here is that God wants to give us and to fill us full of his grace upon grace like the different layers of a cake. One, other, one layer on top of another of God's sweetness and goodness given to us. God wants to give us grace upon grace so we have this deep, rich, full experience of him. But in order to be filled with that grace, we first have to recognize that we need to be emptied of certain things as well. That we need to be emptied of our busyness and our constant doing just for the sake of doing. That we need to be emptied of the hurt and the, and the, uh, and the resentments and the bitternesses that we so often carry. We need to be emptied of just always having to do something all the time. And what God is inviting us to today through John's Gospel is indeed in order to be filled with the body and the blood of Christ, we first have to be emptied. And I think a great example of this is we think about Jesus being the word of grace who gives us his, he, the, the word became flesh dwelling among us. He fills us with grace upon grace. One of the best times that we can recognize our deep, deep need for God, our emptiness without him is when there is a death. And I invite you, you, you can do it right now or after the service is over, to turn in your hymnal to page 870 and 871 because that is the liturgy for a funeral or memorial service here in the United Methodist Church. And one of the very first things that is, that is in every Methodist service is something called the Word of Grace. The Word of Grace. And that is important because when we come in the, into the face of death, when we are facing the end of a loved one's life, when we are in the fear and in the anxiety of the unknown beyond this life, we are indeed empty. 
That is something we can't control. It's something that we can't fully understand. And what's the first word that God speaks into us in that place of emptiness? He speaks a word of grace. And you'll see in there that at every Methodist service, it's the same thing. The word of grace is, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That is what Jesus desires to feed us with this year, friends. But in order to receive that word of grace, we have to let go. We have to create space. We have to recognize our emptiness. And you may think, I don't like the word empty. Empty is what my gas gauge says right now on my car, reminding me that I need to get gasoline on the way home. But friends, the emptiness is is a warning. It's a reminder that we need something we cannot create or produce on our own. It requires us to humble ourselves and to cry out to God and ask for the grace that we so desperately need. And you may be asking, well, how do I do this? How do I create emptiness? In my life, how do I create space for Jesus to move in with his grace that I so desperately need? And there, and the good news is, friends, I invite you, take that question before God Almighty. Take that question before God in your quiet time as you study his word, as you open his word and read it, and ask, Lord, what do I need to be emptied of? What do I need to let go of this year? But one practical way that I invite you, and I'm just going to give you a few practical examples of simple habits that can be formed that can make a big impact. One of them is when you sit down for dinner, whether you're sitting down by yourself for a meal or with your family, wherever you are, just find an empty chair. Pull an empty chair up to that table and say, Jesus, this is your chair. Yes, it's empty, but it is filled with you, but I want it to be filled with you. If you're riding in the car and you've got kids in the back seat and you've got toys and you've got Cheetos and goldfish and and blankets and, and, and diaper bags and various things strewn across the car, take a moment maybe between the two car seats in the back to move that stuff over and just create, it doesn't have to be a big space, but an empty space and say, this is where Jesus is today. Jesus is riding in this car. After all, he pitched his tent. The word became flesh and pitched his tent in our cars among all of the Cheetos and the goldfish and all of and the diaper bags and all those everyday ordinary pieces of life. Find that little bit of space and just take a moment to say, Jesus, you are here. This space is is for you. Another, another option, just an idea, is if you have a calendar where you schedule appointments and you have different things, whether it's on your computer or on paper, just find a 15 to 30 minute interval. It may be your lunch break and don't write anything in that space. Leave a blank space and say, Jesus, this is your space. This is for you today. I give you this time. I empty my calendar of this time so that I might encounter you. Friends, those may seem like trivial things, but God so loves us and so desires even the trivial, even the small, even the little, because when we give him a little, he brings much back to us. We receive much when we are willing to give just a little bit of emptiness for him. As we come forward, and finally, one more example that I will invite you into as we conclude this time today and move into our time of Holy Communion. One thing that I am very insistent on when we receive communion here in the church is that we receive it, that we don't take it. We can't take grace, we receive grace. 
And I invite you as you come forward today, just as I instructed the children, to receive the body of Christ. To open one palm or maybe the other palm on top to form a cross. And you notice what happens there. Your hands are empty. You are empty. This is our way of saying, Jesus, I am empty. I need your body. I need your blood. I need your salvation. I need your healing. I need your grace. I need. There's so much that we need from him, friends. But first, we must say, I am empty. Fill me, Lord Jesus. So I invite you as you come forward today, whatever it is that you need, whatever you want to receive, be it peace or love or serenity, if it's uh, just a sense of God's calm, if you just want to feel love today, come forward asking Jesus for that. And as you do so, empty your hands so that you might receive that gift from him. And indeed, we will be nurtured. We will be made whole because the word has moved into the neighborhood. And what follows grace, what follows the word of grace, is the glory of God Almighty. So let us receive grace so that he might show forth his glory and reveal his Son through us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the blessed Holy Spirit, three in one, now and forever. Amen.